0: Hey guys, it's me, Sydney. You probably know me better as Horror Chronicles over on TikTok and Instagram, but yes, my government legal name is Sydney. I was born before Scream came out, so I can't say that I was named after Sydney Prescott, but I like to think that it was meant to be. I started my TikTok about two years ago, and it has brought me so much success that I am so grateful for, and it has quite literally changed my life. But TikTok also is really limiting in terms of content and time limits, so I decided to try something new. So without further ado, I bring to you the Hello Sydney podcast, a podcast for horror lovers where we discuss anything and everything horror. I decided to do my first episode on something that people on TikTok asked me to do all the time, but again, due to time restraints, it's simply not possible. So with that being said, today I'm going to give you guys a full breakdown of the Saw franchise, including a timeline of how the events unfold if you guys follow me over on tiktok you've probably heard me talk about how much i love saw saw probably is my second favorite horror franchise right behind scream and i think a lot of people have some misconceptions of saw they think it's just like torture porn bullshit, but it's just so much more than that the plot line is so intricate and so well thought out and i'm really hoping that if you guys are listening to this you are going to see that once we're done here people ask me a lot of the time what order they should watch these movies in and i think that you should just watch them in the order in which they came out All of Saw is really non-linear. It does a lot of time jumping back and forth. So I think you should just watch them starting with Saw 1. So we're just going to jump right in starting with the original Saw from 2004. The first saw opens up with these two men waking up in this like disgusting, dilapidated bathroom, and they are both chained by their ankles to pipes on opposite sides of the room, okay? And these two men we find out to be Dr. Lawrence Gordon, who is an oncologist, and Adam, who is a photographer. In between the two of them is what appears to be a dead body, all right? It's this dude laying face down in a pool of blood. In one hand, he has a revolver, and in the other hand, he has a cassette recorder. Adam and Gordon end up both separately finding that they actually have cassette tapes hidden in their pockets, and when they listen to them, Adams is telling him to survive. Meanwhile, Gordon's is telling him that he has to kill Adam, and if he doesn't do so by a certain time, then his wife and his daughter are both going to die. In the recording is also these cryptic clues, so like, X marks the spot, follow your heart, so when they hear that, Adam looks at the toilet and sees a heart on it, so he goes into it and finds a package containing two hacksaws. They try to use the hacksaws to cut through the chains, but obviously that doesn't work. And Dr. Gordon is the one to very quickly realize we're not supposed to cut through our chains, brother. We're supposed to cut through our goddamn feet. He also shares with Adam, this has to be the work of the Jigsaw Killer. He explains that the jigsaw killer is this guy who basically tests people's wills to survive by putting them in these traps and giving them the opportunities to get out. But if they don't get out, they will die. So Adam's now suspicious and he's like, how could you possibly know this? And Dr. Gordon shares that he was actually a suspect in the jigsaw killings. So now we flash back to a few months prior and we see Dr. Gordon being investigated by two detectives, Detective Singh and Detective Tap, because Dr. Gordon's penlight was found at a scene of a jigsaw killing. This particular jigsaw killing required a guy to basically crawl through a whole bunch of barbed wire to get out, but he ended up bleeding to death. In addition to Detective Tap and Detective Singh, we also meet Detective Carrie at the scene of that crime. She is a very minor character in this movie, but she's going to come up again later. What's also going to come up again later is the pen light that is found at the scene of the crime. And we're going to figure out how that happens, but it's not going to be until a few movies later. So keep that in mind. So Gordon ends up being cleared because his alibi checks out. But while he's in the police station, he witnesses the testimony of Amanda Young, who is a Jigsaw survivor. She's actually the only Jigsaw survivor to date. So now we get a flashback to Amanda's test, which is her in the infamous reverse bear trap. She's got this contraption attached to her head and basically if she doesn't get out in enough time, it's attached to her mouth and it will spring open and rip her whole jaw open. Amanda manages to get the key and escape, but said key was hidden physically in a man, like in his intestines, so she had to disembowel him to get the key. So Jigsaw leaves tapes for all of his victims, and that's where we get the creepy Billy the Puppet doll, you know, the white puppet with the red circles on his cheeks, and that's how they get the instructions on how to beat their game, basically how to get out of the traps. So Sing and Tap watch the video that was left for Amanda, and they find some clues that lead them to a warehouse, and they go to this warehouse and they do find Jigsaw. You never see his face because he has a hood on. So we still don't know who this guy is, but we just know his voice. Now when Tap goes to subdue Jigsaw, Jigsaw pulls out a blade and slits his throat. So he's sitting there bleeding out and Sing goes to chase after Jigsaw, but ultimately he trips a trap and gets shot and dies. So again, this is happening through flashbacks. So now we go back to present times where we see Dr. Gordon's wife and young daughter, Diana, being held captive by a man who is also watching... Adam, and Gordon through cameras. However, we also see that Gordon's house is being watched by Detective Tapp, who did survive getting his throat slit, but has since been discharged from the force and has spiraled into an absolute jigsaw obsession. He's still convinced that Dr. Gordon is a killer, so that's why he's staking out the house, and he has no idea that Gordon's wife and daughter are being held captive inside. Back in the bathroom, we see Gordon discover a box that is hidden behind a tile that has an X on it. So X marks the spot, exactly what Jigsaw said. He opens the box and he finds two cigarettes, a lighter, and a cell phone, but the cell phone is not able to dial out. It only accepts calls in. At this point, he and Adam both have flashbacks as to how they were abducted and brought to this bathroom. So Adam remembers being abducted in his apartment when he gets home and he sees a creepy Billy the doll puppet sitting on his couch and then is ultimately subdued and drugged. And Gordon remembers being attacked in a parking garage by somebody in a pig mask. When we see the flashbacks of Adam's abduction, we also see Adam in a dark room in his house developing photos of Gordon. So he knows Gordon, but Gordon does not know him. And the cell phone starts ringing. So Gordon goes to answer it and it's his wife. And his wife tells him, do not trust Adam. Obviously now Gordon is like, Adam, what the fuck? And Adam comes clean and admits that he was actually paid by Detective Tap to keep tabs on Gordon and take photos of him. Adam reveals that he knows that Gordon is having an affair with one of his medical students because he followed Gordon that night, and that was actually the night that both of them were abducted. So in the bag with the hacksaws, there are also a bunch of photographs that Adam had taken of Gordon. So now that the information that Adam was following Gordon has been shared, Adam shares the photos, and Gordon recognizes a familiar face. So through these photos, it is revealed to us that the person who is holding Gordon's wife and daughter captive is Zepp, and Zepp is an orderly that works at the hospital that Gordon works at. So in the tape, Jigsaw told Gordon that he had to kill Adam by six o'clock or his wife and daughter were going to die. So now we see Zep holding them captive and he sees that it's past 6 p.m. So he moves towards them to go murder them. Allison, Gordon's wife, ends up freeing herself and fighting back and a gunshot goes off. So now Tap, who is again watching from across the street, hears this and runs to the rescue. Meanwhile, Zep had called Gordon again to let him know that like, I'm going to kill your daughter and your wife now. So Gordon is just hearing all of this unfold completely helplessly because he's still chained to this bathroom pipe. Detective tap ultimately saves gordon's wife and daughter they get away but when he goes to follow Zepp, he ultimately gets shot and is killed gordon again being completely helpless is like fuck this and this is the scene where he decides to saw off his own foot oh so he ties a tourniquet around himself and he starts fucking cutting adam is obviously horrified watching this happen they're screaming there's chaos it's out of control Ultimately, Gordon does it. He gets through his foot and he goes over to the revolver that is in the dead man's hands and he takes it and shoots Adam. And then Zep shows up in the bathroom. He goes over to Adam to see that he's really dead and then he turns on Gordon to go and kill him. But oh, wait, Adam's not fucking dead. Adam attacks Zep and bludgeons him to death with a lid of the toilet. Now Adam is searching Zep's body for the key to the chains, but instead he finds a tape and he plays that tape and reveals that Zep is actually also a victim of Jigsaw. Zep's tape reveals that Jigsaw told him that he has poison coursing through his veins and if he does not play this game, then he is going to die. However, if he plays by the rules and does what Jigsaw wants, then Jigsaw will give him the antidote and he will survive. So Zep was merely just a pawn in this whole game. Meanwhile, right before this happened, Gordon crawled over to Adam to tell him, like, I'll come back for you, I promise, but I need to leave or I'm going to bleed to death. Gordon crawled out, leaving Adam alone. And as he's listening to this cassette tape, biggest plot twist in horror cinema, perhaps the body in the middle of the room stands up. The man that we presume dead has not been dead. And in fact, this is Jigsaw. He has been watching up close and personal the whole entire time. Big Saw tells Adam that the key to his chain was in the bathtub with him, which is where he woke up. But when he woke up in a fit of like chaos and confusion, the key went down the drain. Jigsaw walks out of the bathroom, looks at Adam and says, game over, and then slams the door shut, leaving Adam to die. So this movie ends with us assuming that Adam dies, but also not really knowing what happened to Dr. Gordon at all. And just giving a fair warning, we're not going to find out what happened to him for a long time. I mentioned earlier that Dr. Gordon is an oncologist and Zepp obviously was an orderly working in the same hospital. But what I didn't mention was that there was a flashback showing that they both were caring for a patient named John Kramer who had a brain tumor. But with that information, let's now move on to Saw 2. So, Saw 2 opens with the Venus flytrap. This is one that I know I would immediately die because I can't do anything with eyeballs. So, I would just let the timer run out. But basically, there's this dude, Michael, and we learn that Michael is a police informant and he wakes up with this contraption around his neck. And we learn that there is a key physically hidden behind his eyeball. And if he does not take out his own eye and get that key and take this off of his neck, then it is going to snap and kill him like a Venus flytrap. So, something that's really important here that's going to come into play later when jigsaw is showing michael the tape like you know the tape that they do okay like this is how you're gonna get out they show footage of michael having this surgery performed on him and we don't see the person who's doing it we only see their back but they have a limp and that's something that we need to take notice of so michael does not make it out of his trap he does die and then we see the scene being investigated by detective carrie who remember we met in the previous movie at the scene of the crime though she finds a message to her former partner detective matthews Matthews goes to the scene where he meets Carrie and he also meets Officer Rigg, who is going to come into play again in later movies as well. So they're looking at the trap and they find a lock on it, which leads them to the warehouse where the lock was produced. And when they get to this warehouse, they find none other than John Kramer, a.k.a. the Jigsaw Killer. So Detective Matthews approaches him and is like, haha, you fucking idiot. You think we wouldn't find you? Like, here we are. And Jigsaw basically uno reverses him and is like, lol, jokes on you, idiot. Go look on the monitors in the other room. They go to look at the monitors, they find a game being played. These monitors show eight people locked in a house. One of those eight people is Detective Matthew's son, Daniel. And another one of these people is Amanda Young from the first movie. Now we kind of see this playing out in tandem. We see the game happening in the house and we also see Matthew's basically interrogating John. We're left to believe that it's happening in real time because again, it's playing on the monitors. So in the house, they listen to the tape and find out that there is a chemical nerve agent that is filling the house. And if they don't find a way to get out in two hours, they're all going to die. There are also multiple antidotes hidden throughout the house. So if they're able to find those and use them, then they can survive as well. So Matthews is obviously now pissed and is telling John, like, if you don't let my son out, I am going to fucking kill you. And this is where we get one of my favorite John Kramer quotes of all time. He looks at Detective Matthews and says, oh, yes, there will be blood. When Detective Matthews asks, where's my son? John says he's in a safe place. He also tells Detective Matthews, all you have to do is sit here and talk to me for two hours and you will find your son in a safe place. I like to call Saw 2 the one where no one listens to the fucking rules. Because then back at the house, we see them getting instructions and they find a key and specifically on the key, it says, do not use this to the front door. And what do they do? Use it to the front door. And the guy who does immediately gets shot and dies by a gun that is positioned on the other side of the door. So Detective who has been working on this case now since it started, tells Matthews like, buy us some time, just sit there and talk to him. We have our tech team tracing the location of the feed that's being shown on the monitors. So during their conversation, Jigsaw basically shares with Matthews what got him into playing these games and what that was, was his cancer diagnosis. And we get a flashback of John walking into Dr. Gordon's office. So Dr. Gordon was John Kramer's doctor. Now, after he was diagnosed with cancer, John made a suicide attempt where he drove his car off a cliff, but he survived, which gave him basically a newfound appreciation on life. And he thinks that other people are taking their lives for granted, so the goal of his games is to basically make them appreciate their lives. Back at the house, the group makes it to the basement where they find this furnace, and there's this tape that is dedicated to one of the players in the house who is named Abby. Through flashbacks, we see that Abby actually helped Jigsaw kidnap the people that are currently in the house. The tape also tells him that he needs to get into the furnace, and if he does so successfully, there are two antidotes in there, one for him and then one that he can give to somebody else. So Abby does it. He gets in the furnace, but very quickly, he does not survive. He is absolutely incinerated and burned to death, and the antidotes go with him. So now there's six of them left, and there's this one really big dude named Xavier, and he very clearly is just an angry and mentally unstable person. So they get to another room where there is a pit full of needles and basically the tape recorder says that this is Xavier's trap. He's the one that's supposed to get in there but being the crazy mentally unstable person he is he physically picks up Amanda and throws her into it. This for me is one of the worst traps in the entire series. I just you're watching it and you can just feel it happening. She's literally just picking up needles with her hands. They're sticking to her everywhere. It's painful to watch. So she finds the syringe that she needs, but throws it to Xavier, and he is the one that then fails to open the door in time, and it gets locked forever. Meanwhile, Daniel, Matthew's son, earlier asked Amanda, like, if you survived this before, then why are you being tested again? And Amanda says, I wasn't being very good to myself, and we see a flashback of her slitting her wrists. The tape that they initially found also said that they all have some sort of connection to one another, and that they should really try and find that out. Back in the scene with John Kramer and Detective Matthews, it is revealed to Detective Matthews that all these people in the house with Daniel were arrested by Matthews, and he's really like a corrupt cop, so he was kind of framing them and planting evidence and stuff, so they're not really his biggest fan. And now they're in a house with his only son. And back at the house, they find this out too when they find a picture that is planted there of Daniel and his father. So Xavier, the big, crazy, mean guy is not there when they find this picture, but he is in the initial room trying to look for more clues. And when he's doing that, he looks at the dead body of the guy who was shot and notices that there is a number on the back of his neck. And he realizes that they all have numbers on the back of their neck. And these numbers are the combination to the safe, which have the antidotes in them. So naturally, instead of just asking everybody or telling everybody, he just starts to kill them to get the numbers on the back of their neck, which is completely unnecessary. He could have gotten them just by looking at them. So he starts hunting the others, he kills one guy, another girl dies as a result of the chemical agent. And then another girl goes off on her own where she finds in a room a glass box containing an antidote. But when she goes to put her hands through the opening, she discovers that they are actually razor blades that she can then not pull her hands out of. And we assume that she is left there to die. So now that just leaves Daniel and Amanda and they actually find a trap door in the original room which leads them down to a tunnel. And then they get to a very familiar looking bathroom. Yep, it is the bathroom from the first movie and inside the bathroom are two bodies as well as a severed foot. So obviously we know that that is Zepp, Adam and Dr. Gordon's foot. So meanwhile, as this is happening, Matthews is like, all right, I've had enough of your shit. And he just starts beating the shit out of John to get him to reveal the location of the house so that he can go and save his son. And as he's doing this, John eventually looks up at him and just says, All right, game over. I'll take you to the house. Back in the basement, we see Xavier corner Amanda and Daniel, but Daniel plays dead and then gets up and slits Xavier's throat with the frickin' hacksaw, which is a beautiful full circle moment. The same hacksaw that Gordon used to sever his own foot. Meanwhile, Detective Carey's team finally was able to discover where the location of the feed was hidden, and a SWAT team goes to the house and they are led by Detective Rig. But when they get there, it's not the house that the game is being played in. The house has a bunch of TVs that have the video also playing on it. But Rig is able to pause it and to play it and they discover that this game has not been being played in real time. They have been watching a pre-recorded video of a game that happened hours prior. And as that realization comes in, Carrie hears something in the other room, the same room that Detective Matthews had just been sitting in with John Kramer, where John said, sit here with me and talk to me for two hours and you will find your son in a safe place. And lo and behold, once the two hour timer was up, a safe opened and inside that safe was a very alive Daniel. So all Matthews had to do was follow the fucking instructions, which he wasn't able to do. And now he's on the way to what he thinks is the house where the game is currently being played. So he has no idea that this is going on and he makes his way into the house and downstairs into the bathroom where this all just went down. So we see Matthews get attacked by somebody in a pig mask, and when he wakes up, he is again in a very familiar trap with his foot chained to a pipe in the same bathroom. And he finds a tape recorder when he wakes up, but when he plays it, he doesn't hear Jigsaw's voice. Whose voice does he hear? Amanda Young's. So Amanda has been in on it the whole time. She was a plant in this game to make sure everything went the way that it was supposed to go. And she reveals through this tape that after John tested her the first time, she became his accomplice because. She, she looked at him as like a father figure, like he taught her to appreciate her life, which she was not doing before. She explains in the tape that you must meet death in order to be reborn. And she explains that she is going to be the one to continue on John's work after he dies. And then we see Amanda show up. And exactly as John did in the first movie, she looks at Detective Matthews and says, game over, and closes the bathroom door, sealing him in there. The final shot of this movie is a very bloody John Kramer sitting in Detective Matthew's car just laughing to himself because he knows he's won. So our takeaway in this movie is Amanda is John's accomplice. John is still alive and now is going to be able to escape. And we don't exactly know the fate of Detective Matthews. Like, yes, he got locked in the bathroom, but we're not really sure what happens after that. So that leads us right into Saw 3. And I like to call this one the one where everyone dies. So Saw 3 opens up with a flashback to Detective Matthews being locked in the bathroom. However, we also see that he didn't just sit there and die. Uh, He actually broke his own ankle. Instead of sawing off his own ankle, which he was about to do, he decides to break it, which he does with the lid from the toilet, which was used to kill Zep in the first movie. So we're not entirely sure at this point what happened after that, but we know that he got out of his shackles. So then we cut to six months later and we see Detective Carey and Officer Rig, who again we know from the prior movies, and they are now investigating a new jigsaw crime scene. So the victim that they find is a guy named Troy, and basically Troy's trap, he was tasked with pulling these chains out of his body. So he had chains attached to uh, everywhere his jaw, his Achilles heel. Those are the most disgusting parts, his arms everywhere. And he has to rip all of these chains out of himself before the bomb goes off. However, this trap is very different from the others because Kerry realizes that the door was welded shut. So even had Troy gotten out of these chains in time, which he didn't, he would not have been able to get out of this room. So at this point, they're suspicious. They're like, this can't be a jigsaw trap because jigsaw at least gives his victims the opportunity to survive. Like this doesn't follow the MO. Also at this crime scene is somebody who we meet for the first time, who is Detective Hoffman. And from this point moving forward, Detective Hoffman is going to be an essential character to the Saw franchise. Side note, I think Saw 3 is also, in addition to being the one where everybody dies, is also the one with the best traps collectively. The traps in this movie, I think, are just the most memorable and also the most brutal and vile in some cases, but we'll get to that. So Detective Carrie goes home that night and she's going over some videos and some case files and stuff and she starts to hear something in her house. And lo and behold, she is kidnapped and she wakes up in a trap, so she is the next victim. This is also just collectively the franchise where... It's the worst thing that you could be as a cop because if you are a cop or working in this case in any way, you are like, there's a 99% chance of you dying. And dying very brutally too because I think Detective Carrie's trap specifically is one of the more brutal ones in the franchise. We call it the angel trap. So basically she's in this harness that is attached to her ribs and in front of her is a jar full of acid with a key inside of it. So she has to stick her hand in that acid to retrieve the key unlock the mechanism and then it will let her go. But if she doesn't do that in time, it's going to physically rip her whole torso open. So Carrie's a badass and she actually does it. She manages to get the key out of the acid and she unlocks the lock, but nothing happens. So again, this is another inescapable trap. Like she did what she was supposed to do, but she still can't get out of it. So now the traps are being designed to kill you regardless. So unfortunately, yes, Carrie ends up very brutally dying. She did not deserve it. She deserved to get out of her trap. So now we meet Dr. Lynn Dentlin. So when we first meet Dr. Lynn, she is with a man who we assume to be her husband. So Lynn goes to work at the hospital that she works on. And that night as she's going to leave, she is actually abducted. When she wakes up, she is in this like makeshift hospital and she meets Amanda Young and John Kramer. So it turns out that John met with Dr. Dentlin when he was in the hospital. So they're explaining John's illness to Dr. Denlin and she sees that Dr. Gordon was his doctor through some paperwork and John makes a comment that I think is really funny. He says, uh, yeah, I was his patient and he was mine, which we know obviously he means that because Dr. Gordon was one of his victims in the first movie. So Amanda basically tells Lynn, like your task is to keep him alive and if you don't, you die with him. So Amanda attaches a collar to Lynn's neck that basically is connected to John's heart rate and if John flatlines then this collar is going to kill Lynn. So basically Dr. Denlin has to keep Jigsaw alive until he can finish the current game that is being played. So then we cut to a man named Jeff. So we learn that Jeff is coping with the loss of his son who was hit and killed by a drunk driver. We have some flashbacks and see that Jeff has basically been consumed with this vengeance and he's also been neglecting his daughter just out of complete grief for his son. So Jeff's game finds him coming across people who were involved in his son's case set up in traps and the whole point is kind of like are you going to save them or are you going to let vengeance get the best of you and let them die? So Jeff's first trap leads him to a woman who was the only witness to his son's death but she refused to testify in court so she's strung up she's completely naked and they're basically in a freezer so it's sub-zero temperatures and basically the longer that Jeff takes to free her she gets sprayed with freezing cold water. So she ends up talking Jeff into helping her but he does not do it in time and she dies. He did get the key and injured himself doing so so he did try to save her but again he was just too late and she succumbs to hypothermia. Next room he goes to... (sighs) This is the pig trap and this is probably one of the more vile traps in the whole series. So Jeff finds a man chained to the bottom of this giant vat and the man who is chained down there is the judge in his son's case and the judge only sentenced the guy who killed his son to six months. The tape tells Jeff that he has all of his son's possessions and in an incinerator nearby. And if he wants to save the judge, then he basically has to set all of his son's things on fire in order to obtain the key. So as he's doing this, a bunch of rotting pig carcasses are falling from the trap into an incinerator and all of the liquid is coming out into the vat. So basically that's going to drown the judge if Jeff decides not to save him. Again, it's absolutely disgusting. It's like you can smell it. It's this trap is fucking vile. Ultimately, Jeff lets go of his vengeance, and he does it. He burns his son's possessions, gets the key, and frees the judge. And the two of them move on to the next room where we find the infamous rack. And in the rack is Timothy, who is the driver who killed Jeff's son. So basically, Timothy is strapped into this machine where all of his limbs are going to slowly twist and break if Jeff does not get the key to him in time. The key, however, is tied to a shotgun. So if he goes and gets the key, he is going to have to take a bullet for Timothy. Jeff decides to do it, and he ends up actually very slowly getting the key out, which manages to not shoot him. But ultimately, he trips it, and the judge is actually shot and killed accidentally. And then Jeff kind of honestly stands there like a bumbling fucking idiot as Timothy's limbs are completely broken and he fails to save him in time. So ultimately, Timothy's neck is completely broken and he dies. So meanwhile, back in the makeshift hospital, uh, Lynn is trying to convince Amanda that John needs to go to a hospital because they don't have the proper tools to keep him alive and he's going to die. He's basically on the brink of death. And Amanda's like, LOL, I guess you don't understand the fact that if he dies, you die. So good fucking luck. So ultimately, Lynn decides that she needs to perform surgery on John that is going to relieve some of the swelling in his brain. So there is a scene where John starts seizing and we think that he's going to die and he starts to have these flashbacks in his brain where we see this blonde woman who at the time we don't know her, but having watching having watched the rest of the movies, we see that this is Jill who is Jigsaw's ex-wife. So this is the first time where we get any glimpse of Jill. So Lynn has to drill into John's brain with a power saw basically, but the surgery actually ends up being successful. It works. And because of it being successful, John ends up looking at Amanda and is like, take her collar off and let her go. But Amanda refuses, which is very unlike her because obviously up until this point, she has been very loyal to John. And we kind of get the impression that she's refusing because she has become kind of jealous of Lynn's interactions with John because he seems to kind of care for her. So throughout all this, we're also getting flashbacks because again, remember the whole Saw franchise is nonlinear and it does jump around quite a bit. So we get flashbacks to the first movie and we actually see that Amanda helped get Adam into this trap. So she's actually the one that abducted him from his apartment that night and it shows her chaining him and leaving the key for him. And it also shows John in his blood and makeup ready to lay on the floor. And we see him inject himself with something that is going to slow his heart rate. So that's how he was able to lie there so motionlessly in the first movie. We also get a flashback, which finally gives us closure on what happens to Adam. Because after the whole trap plays out, Amanda actually goes back and suffocates Adam to death. We also see an image of Amanda finding an envelope that's left for her. And again, this is happening during the present time, but John doesn't see it. And she sees what's in the envelope and she pans but we don't see it and we're actually not going to see it again for a couple more movies so hold on tight so now tensions are high john's telling amanda like i'm telling you to let lynn go take off her collar and let her go she doesn't deserve this and amanda at this point reveals that she doesn't even agree with john's philosophy anymore she doesn't think any of these people that he's putting in his traps deserve the right to live and she admits that she's been rigging the traps to do exactly that basically to ensure that they're going to die so that's why that first trap was inescapable. That's why Carrie's trap was inescapable. John, at this point, is pleading with Amanda and is basically like, Amanda, your life relies on Lynn's a lot more than you think. Like, please just listen to me. But ultimately, Amanda decides not to listen and she shoots Lynn. And because it's perfect timing, always in the Saw movies, she shoots Lynn just as Jeff arrives. And when that happens, John Kramer looks at Amanda and says, you just shot Jeff's wife. So the man we saw Lynn with in the beginning is somebody that she was having an affair with and Jeff and Lynn are husband and wife and their son is the one who died. So Jeff, obviously acting this whole movie out of retaliation and vengeance, shoots Amanda in the neck. So as Amanda is lying on the floor dying, John plays a tape and basically reveals that this whole thing was actually her test. And this was basically her final test because John knew that she had had been rigging the traps and does not believe in murder. So he's saying that she's a murderer and she's not giving people the proper chance to live because John Kramer is not going to have a murderer continue his legacy. Murder is distasteful. Before she dies, we have another Amanda flashback where we see her actually running into Detective Matthews after he manages to crawl his way out of the bathroom and they both attack each other. So at this point, we still don't know what happened to Detective Matthews. Regardless, we see Amanda as she takes her last breaths and dies. And then Jeff turns his attention to Jigsaw, who basically tells him, "Okay, either you can take your vengeance against me or you can forgive me and let me live. Jeff, once again, being driven by complete vengeance, says, yeah, I forgive you, but then takes a power saw and slits John's throat as he is bleeding out and dying. John presses play on a recording that basically tells Jeff that John has his daughter hidden away and he's the only one that knows where she is. And also because he is dying, he also just killed his own wife because obviously Lynn is still in the collar. So as Jigsaw dies, the collar detonates and Lynn also dies. And the movie ends with the room being sealed shut with Jeff in it, along with the dead bodies of his wife, John Kramer and Amanda Young. So again, that's why I call Saw 3 the one where everybody fucking dies. And now we move on to Saw 4, which continues the story. And this is the one I like to call the one where everybody in the traps really fucking deserved it. There's some question of morality in some of these, I think. Like I think a lot of the people did deserve it, but some did not. Even like Dr. Gordon's wife and daughter from the first movie, they were simply pawns in his trap, but they didn't deserve it themselves. But anyway, I digress. So Saw 4 opens up with John Kramer's autopsy. So we literally see him being cut open. So we know that he's dead, dead. Like this is not one of the horror franchises where the killer is going to live and come back like he is dead dead and while they're performing this autopsy they find a tape in John Kramer's stomach and we see a flashback to the previous movie showing him lubricating this cassette tape and swallowing it before he knows he's going to die so the guy doing the autopsy calls for homicide and that's where we see detective Hoffman show up who we briefly met in the last movie So they listen to the tape and it's John basically saying that his work is going to continue and the games have just begun, which we should be kind of suspicious of because he's dead and Amanda's dead. So who else is going to possibly continue on this legacy? So that must mean there's got to be another accomplice. So then we cut to the first trap of this movie, which has two men in a mausoleum chained to this device. And one of them has his eyes sewn shut and the other one has his mouth sewn shut. So basically they're completely unable to communicate because one can't see what's happening. The other one can't explain to the guy who can't see what's happening. So basically this game requires them to work together, which again is impossible because they can't communicate because one guy has the key that's going to unlock them both from this trap. So the chain starts to pull them in and the guy who can't see tries to start attacking the other guy because again, he has no fucking idea what's going on. But the guy whose mouth is sewn shut ultimately ends up killing him and gets the key from his collar, which unlocks his own. So he lives. So now we cut to a scene where we see the cops discover Detective Carrie's body and one of the cops there is Officer Rig, who has been with Carrie working on this case since the very beginning. So obviously he's very emotional and he runs through a door to go find her and Hoffman's like, you know you're never supposed to run through an unsecured door, you're gonna get yourself killed. So now because of the amount of Jigsaw killings there have been, we have two special agents show up from the FBI. So we have Special Agent Peter Strom and Special Agent Perez. So they're looking at this and they know that Amanda is Jigsaw's apprentice, okay? But they also are like, this is not done by Amanda, and this is not done by John, because Amanda weighed less than Detective Carey. There's no way she could string her up like that, and John Kramer is a dying cancer patient. There's no way that he would be able to get Detective Carey's body up there, so there must be a third accomplice. So then we see Officer Rig watching an interrogation video, and this interrogation video is of Jill Tuck, who is Jigsaw's ex-wife. But we don't really learn a whole bunch about her yet. During this scene, we also learn that Detective Matthews has been missing for six months and Officer Rig is still very determined to find him because he does not think that he's dead. We also learn that Detective Carey left a message to these two FBI agents who she had been working with and she said that there are another two officers who are potentially in danger. So Strom and Perez are telling that to Hoffman and while they're telling him that, somebody comes up to Hoffman and said, hey, another doctor has gone missing from the hospital. Hoffman is also holding a stuffed animal and Perez looks at him and says, boy or girl? And he says, girl. Seems like a small detail, but keep this in mind. So then we follow Rig home where we see him get kidnapped by somebody in a pig mask, the same pig mask that we've been seeing throughout the whole series. And we also see Detective Hoffman get attacked and abducted as well. So when Rig wakes up, he's still in his own home, but this time there's a video and the video is Jigsaw telling him, welcome to your rebirth. And he also shows him footage of Detective Matthews, who is still alive. And Matthews is now in a trap along with Detective Hoffman. And Rig's whole thing that Jigsaw tells him is like, okay, well, you always want to save everyone. Or are you going to want to save these people? And Jigsaw also tells him, uh, yeah, you also got to do this all in 90 minutes because that's how long you have before Detective Matthews dies. So the first person Rig comes across is this woman named Brenda, who is revealed to us to be a sex trafficker, basically, who is trafficking little girls. And she is strapped into this device that is essentially going to scalp her unless Rig gets the combination to get her out, which he does. He actually gets her out of this trap, but she is not in good condition when she comes out. So as Rig goes to get a towel to stop the bleeding that is coming from her scalp, she gets a knife and starts to attack him and try to kill him. Rig ends up subduing her and ultimately killing her and then listens to the tape that was left for her, which is Jigsaw saying he's going to save you from this trap. But if he does, he's going to tell on you basically because you're a disgusting sex trafficker. So either kill him or be locked away forever for your crimes, basically. So like I said, this is the one where everybody deserves it. She fucking deserved it. Meanwhile, back at the precinct, we learned that there were prints found at Detective Carey's crime scene, and those prints were actually found to be from Officer Rig. Obviously, at this point, we're also wondering how Detective Matthews has survived for this long. So we now get a flashback of a hooded figure who's been basically keeping him captive in this room and feeding him. But anyway, now the special agents think that Rig might have something to do with this because of the fingerprint. So they go to his house where they now find this dead body as well as pictures of a bunch of people. So it's pictures of this woman, there's pictures of Hoffman, and there's also pictures of Jill Tuck, Jigsaw's ex-wife. So Strom finds Jill and starts to interrogate her. And through this interrogation, we learn that Jill was actually pregnant when her and Jigsaw were married and she ended up miscarrying and losing the baby. And we find out this happened because Jill was running a clinic for drug addicts where she was helping them with medication. And one night, a disruptive client that she had named Cecil ended up breaking in for drugs and slammed a door into her and she lost the baby because of it. So while that's happening, Rigg is then led to his next location, which is a motel room. So Rigg has left a tape that tells him that he needs to abduct the guy who works at the front desk of this motel who's named Ivan. So he does so when they go into this room that is set up to show all of Ivan's victims. So Ivan is basically this disgusting serial rapist who likes to take pictures and videos of his victims. So Rig, obviously being completely pissed off by this, tells Ivan to strap himself into the trap that's been left for him. And basically this trap has two like buttons in his hands and he has to press the buttons to gouge his own eyes out in order to be let out of it or else all of his limbs are going to be ripped off. However, Ivan fails to do it in time, and his limbs are ripped off, and he dies, and absolutely nobody feels bad or misses him because he is a disgusting serial rapist, so once again, deserved it. So the next trap leads Rig to this school, and we have a flashback where Rig is talking to this little girl who ended up having all these marks on her, and it was pretty obvious that she was being abused and beaten. And we learn that she's being beaten by her father, and her mother is basically just letting it happen. So, Rig, being the good dude that he is, and also in a fit of rage, just starts beating the shit out of the dad because he knows that he did it, but nobody will admit to it. Meanwhile, the cops are following Rig's trail, but they're always one location behind. So, as he goes to the school, they find the motel room. And they discovered that this motel room is rented out to a man named Art Blank who has been missing for two weeks. But they also learned that he is the lawyer of the guy that Rig beat, that dad, and he is also a former business associate of John Kramer. So when Art was interrogating Rig basically about beating this dude, Hoffman's the one that stepped in and was like, No, he attacked Rig first, and Rig was Rig was just defending himself. Like he did nothing wrong. And Art was like, Yeah, okay, I don't believe you, but one day it'll come back to you for lying. And today's that day, because Rig then steps into the school building to find the wife and the husband so by the time that he finds them the husband is already dead but then we have a flashback to what the trap was and basically both of them are back to back strung up and they have these like iron rods running through them but the tape reveals that the iron rods are just flesh wounds for the wife but they're going through all of the husband's vital organs so this is something that we should kind of think of too because like how would somebody with no medical experience be able to do that okay red flag so this one is very symbolic because the tape left to the woman says either bleed to death due to your inactivity or release yourself from your husband like Literally, physically and mentally. So she decides to do it. She pulls all of the rods out of herself, which ultimately kill her husband, but she survives. By the time Rig finds her, she has one rod left that she needs to pull out, and he finds the key to the contraption that she's in and gives it to her and says, "You need to save yourself," and leaves. But we do know that she ended up surviving. And then the police, as they're investigating the scene, reveal that Art Blank, the lawyer, actually has represented all of the people in the traps, as well as Jill Tuck. And Jill Tuck actually co-owns the building that the husband. Wife, we're just in, and we also see that Art Blank is the person who is currently holding Detective Matthews and Detective Hoffman in the trap that they are in. So as this is all happening, we're also seeing flashbacks of John and Jill, and kind of how they proceeded after they lost their baby. And when they were in the hospital, when Jill miscarried, she made a comment saying, "Like I just wanted to help them," talking about the people who are struggling with addiction. And John says they can only help themselves. And we learn that they actually lost the baby before John was diagnosed with cancer. So we're kind of led to believe that losing the baby is what really started Jigsaw's spiral. And that's what led him to start putting people in these traps, which we can deduce because we actually get a flashback of what I believe to be the first person that was ever put in a Jigsaw trap cecil the one that basically is responsible for jill's miscarriage so cecil is in this trap where he basically needs to use his face to cut through a bunch of razors in order to get out of his trap which he manages to do but then he tries to attack john and he falls into a bunch of razor wire which we assume is the same razor wire that is then used in the first movie then there are some scenes of jill in jigsaw's workshop she sees that he is kind of losing touch with reality because of the loss of their baby his cancer diagnosis And she sees some of his traps, so she's not entirely sure, I don't think at this point, what he's doing with them, but she knows that he's up to some shit. And one of the traps that she sees is this glass box trap, which is going to come into play later on. So going back to art, we know that now he's the one that is holding Matthews and Hoffman, but we also see that he was the guy in the opening trap with his mouth sewn shut. So he is actually still playing the game. Forgot to mention that once they realize that the building that they're in that school was co-owned by Jill Tuck, Strom and Perez go to investigate and they find one of the Billy puppet dolls which then explodes in Perez's face and puts her in critical condition in the hospital. So like I said before, Art Blank was a prior business associate of Jigsaw and the two of them actually owned another building together. So through what Jill told him and also knowing about his connection to Art Blank, Strom puts together that Jigsaw owned this other building which was a meatpacking plant. So he goes there and this is also the same building that Rick Final trap is going to be in, so that's where he's led as well. And it's at this point where we learn that the events of this movie are actually happening simultaneously with the events from Saw 3. Because as we see Strom walking around this warehouse, we also see Jeff from the previous movie walking around the warehouse. So we get flashback scenes to Saw 3. So we see Lynn being shot, and we see that Strom actually was there this whole time but stayed hidden. While this is happening, we see what's unfolding with Rig, and we see him going through an unsecured door, which once again he was warned about in the beginning. Opening the door trips the trap which then kills detective matthews which is then supposed to kill detective hoffman but the trap kind of weirdly malfunctions as he's entering rig is shot but he's still alive and manages to shoot art and art basically tells him like you're a fucking idiot you were specifically told to wait until the clock runs out but you can't like not save everybody and your need to save everybody just cost you everybody's life in here so then we go back to Strom and we see him walking on Jeff, who again, Jeff was alone with the bodies of his wife Lynn, John Kramer, and Amanda, and Jeff then aims the gun at Strom, who shoots him and kills him. Like I said, Hoffman was supposed to die, but his trap weirdly malfunctions, but we learn that that was not by accident because Hoffman then gets up and reveals to Rig that he is the other accomplice. We also get a flashback of Hoffman, and he's the one that left Amanda that envelope that she found in the previous movie, but we still don't know what's in it, but we now know that he's the one that left it for her. So Hoffman leaves Rig to bleed out and die, and then he goes and shuts the door on Peter Strong. And then we learn that the beginning of this movie is actually the end of this movie, because remember, this opened up with Jigsaw's autopsy and Hoffman listening to the recording that was found in his stomach. So we hear that recording again saying that the games have just begun, and we now understand that they are going to continue because Hoffman is the and he is still very much alive. So from here on out, Hoffman is an essential piece of this story and we both love him and we fucking hate him. So let's move on to Saw 5. We're going to learn more about Hoffman's backstory here and how he kind of got involved in all this. And this is the one I like to call the one where everyone's really fucking selfish, but Hoffman is also really fucking smart. So Saw 5 opens up with a trap and it's the pendulum trap. So we learn that this guy Seth Baxter is in the trap and he was only put away for five years on a technicality for murder. This trap requires him to basically crush his own hands and then the pendulum will stop swinging, but he manages to do that, but the pendulum continues to swing and he dies. So we again flashback to the previous movie and where it left off, and we are once again reminded of how fucking stupid Jeff is because we see him aim the gun at Strom and Strom kill him again. And then we see Strom get locked in the room by Hoffman. Now Strom doesn't see Hoffman because he stays behind the door, so he's not sure who left him in the room. But he finds a tape addressed to him. He listens to the tape, which tells him not to proceed through the trap door that opens. But he continues to proceed through the trap door that opens. So obviously he broke the rules. He is attacked by somebody in a very familiar pig mask, the same pig mask we continue to see. And he wakes up in this trap that has his head in a glass box that starts to fill with water. And there's really no possible way out of this trap. But my boy Strom is smart as fuck and he takes a pen out of his pocket and literally gives himself a tracheotomy and is able to breathe. So he survives. So then we get a shot of Hoffman carrying out Lynn and Jeff's daughter. So I remember in Saw 3, Jigsaw's final words were saying how he kidnapped her and was the only person who knew her location. Also remember two movies ago when I pointed out how Hoffman had that stuffed animal that he said, oh, a girl. Hoffman doesn't have a fucking kid. It was for her. That's when we should have picked up that he was the accomplice. That again shows how well thought out this whole entire franchise is. Like that was two movies ago. And who remembers that? Nobody. And Hoffman believes that he is the only surviving person. He thinks he's going to be the hero. But then they say we got a live one. And obviously it's Peter Strom. Obviously Hoffman is not happy about this because everybody else was intended to die. So now Strom's alive and the next scene actually shows a ceremony where Hoffman is being celebrated and he's actually being promoted for the progress that he's made on the jigsaw case. At this point we get a scene of Jill because obviously we know that John has now died and John left her something so she goes to the attorney's office to get it and it's this box that she is able to unlock with this necklace that John gave her. But at this point we don't see what's in the box. We don't find that out till later. Meanwhile back at the precinct we learn that Strom has been taken off the case And then Hoffman goes to his office to find a note that says, I know who you are. So obviously he's freaking out because at this point, nobody knows that he is Jigsaw's accomplice. So remember Agent Perez, uh, Strom's partner. So she got all that like shrapnel to her face in the last movie and Hoffman is told that she died. So when he goes to the hospital where she was, he sees Peter Strom and Strom looks at Hoffman as like the last words out of her mouth were Detective Hoffman. Why would she say that? And now Strom is suspicious and also calls out Hoffman because he's like, it's weird that you survived that last trap you were in because it malfunctioned. Like, John Kramer seemed to be way too calculated to allow that to happen. He doesn't make mistakes, so how'd you get out? Obviously, Hoffman denies everything, but Strom is still super suspicious. So now Strom starts to do a deep dive into Hoffman, basically, because he doesn't fucking trust him, rightfully so. He discovers that a few years prior, Hoffman's sister was murdered. And who was she murdered by? None other than Seth Baxter, the guy in the opening pendulum trap. And after looking into this case, Strom deduces that Hoffman is the one that put Seth in this trap and killed him and basically made it look like a jigsaw trap to cover himself. So John Kramer knew about this too and didn't really like somebody imitating him. So what does he do? He finds Hoffman and he abducts him in an elevator. So Hoffman wakes up in a trap and he's confronted by John, who basically tells him killing is distasteful. You didn't allow this guy a chance to survive the trap. We always give them a chance. And he lets Hoffman live because he then starts blackmailing him into helping him find victims for his future games. So we now get a flashback to Saw 1 of the guy who was in the razor blade trap and Hoffman actually was the one who kidnapped him. We also get a flashback to Saw 2. Hoffman was the one who provided the police files on all of the people inside the house. Also a flashback to Saw 1, Hoffman is telling John, like, oh, there's this detective, Detective Tap you need to be aware of. I think he's getting close to you. So Jigsaw tells him, okay, let's lead him to somebody else. We're going to lead him to Dr. Gordon. Here's his pen light. You're going to leave it at the scene of the crime. So yes, five movies later, we discover how Dr. Gordon's pen light was left at the scene of a Jigsaw crime. We also get a flashback of Hoffman helping John set up the bodies that were in the house of Saw 2. And John basically says, I anticipate the possibilities and let the game play out. And the reason that Amanda's in the game is because she's going to be the one to offer choices and make sure that the game plays out the way it's supposed to. And at this point, we also get another one of my favorite John Kramer quotes where he says, if you're good at anticipating the human mind, it leaves nothing to chance. So John Kramer, as we know, is always like 15 steps ahead of everybody else. Now, while this is all happening, there's a game being played, and this one isn't directly related to the main plot, but it's still a good one, so I'll tell you about it. So five people wake up in this underground sewer, and they all have collars around their necks, and if they don't get the keys in time, the collars are going to detonate, and they're going to be decapitated. They play a tape, again, a tape is always left, and this tape tells them you are going to want to do like what your instincts tell you to do, but I implore you to do the opposite. But per usual, nobody fucking listens and they all start fighting each other and one of them ends up dying because she does not get to the key on time. So four of them move on to the next room where they find that there are these like bombs set off in the room and if they don't get the key to these little shelters in time and get in the shelter, they are going to die. So they all start fighting each other for the keys and ultimately three of them survive because they end up attacking one other guy and he dies. So three of them survive and they get to this next room where they find these five cables that need to be connected to a person who then has to get into the bathtub. So essentially, whoever is in there is going to be electrocuted. So naturally, instead of working together, they kill one girl and put her body in the bathtub and attach all five cables to her. So two of them make it to the final room. So we have two survivors, Malik and Brit, and they get to the final room where they find this box that has these saws inside of it. And there's a beaker and the tape tells them that it requires 10 pints of blood to open the door and let them go free. So it's at this point where they understand that everybody has been really selfish and the whole point of this game was for them to all work together, but instead they all worked against each other and now they're fucked. So in the first room, the same key would have opened all five collars so they could have just worked together and everybody would have lived. In the second room, the shelters were big enough to hold more than one person so they all could have gotten in one together. In the third room, each of the five people was supposed to hold one of the cables and suffer a small shock instead of one person taking it all on by themselves. And in this final room, they all were supposed to make a small blood sacrifice, but now it requires two of them to provide ten pints of blood, which is basically going to kill them. The two of them also put together what all of the five's connection was, and it basically was that they all were in some way responsible for this fire that killed eight people. So the two of them are like, fuck it, we got to do what we got to do. And they both put their hands in this slicer and basically slice their entire arms open to get enough blood to open the trap door. But they actually do it. they It works. And we get this really gnarly scene of Malik holding up his hand and it just like breaks into just right down the middle. It's disgusting. So we get yet another flashback to Saw 3 and we see John telling Hoffman, I need you to set up a game. And John gives Hoffman the files of the five people that were just in the game that I explained. Jigsaw's a big planner. He planned all of this ahead of time. So meanwhile, Jill Tuck ends up going to Erickson, who is Strom's boss and is like, I think that Detective Strom is stalking me. And at the same time, Hoffman had also told Erickson that he thinks that Strom might be Jigsaw's accomplice that they're looking for. So Erickson tries to call Strom, but Hoffman ends up having his phone and picks up and then hangs up, which leads Erickson to put a tracker on Strom's phone. So Erickson follows the signal, and this leads to the sewer where the game is being played. So once he gets there, he finds footage of the game that was just played being played on these TVs. He also finds Strom's phone, and he finds his own file, so that leads him to believe that he was about to be the next victim. But he also finds a very alive Malik and Brit and calls an ambulance for them while also putting out an APB on Strom because now he's convinced that he's the one that is the Jigsaw accomplice. Meanwhile, Strom is the only one that actually knows what's happening, and he decides to follow Hoffman to try and take him down. So he finds the glass box that is filled with pieces of broken glass that we saw very briefly in the previous movie, and inside of it he finds a tape. And the tape is Hoffman basically telling Strom to get inside the box. Hoffman ends up coming in the room, and a fight ensues between the two of them, and ultimately Strom is able to get Hoffman into the glass box and seal it, which he thinks is a bad thing. But then he very quickly realizes that the glass box is actually where you want to be because the walls start to close in on him and Peter Strom is crushed to death. It's very tragic. He deserved better. So Hoffman basically is in this glass case that like goes into the floor and he looks up and watches Peter Strom be crushed in front of his eyes. And while that's happening, Erickson is simultaneously putting out the APB on Strom. So yeah, obviously this is where shit really starts to get wild and there's still a lot of unanswered questions, but I promise we are going to have them answered in the next couple movies. So now moving on to Saw 6. Saw 6 opens up with the pound of flesh trap, which requires this one girl to cut off her arm in order to get out of her trap, which she does and she survives. So we see Hoffman observing this trap and we also get a flashback to the last movie of him watching Strom get crushed and die. And then he also takes fingerprints from Strom's dead body, which again is completely mangled and crushed, but his hand is surviving. And then he plants those fingerprints at the current pound of flesh trap. So now we get special agent Erickson coming to the trap. Obviously, we know him from the previous movie, and we also see a familiar face of Lindsay Perez. Hoffman is shocked because, again, he was told that she was dead, but Erickson reveals, like, I needed to do this while we didn't know who the third accomplice was to keep her safe. It turns out that Perez and Strom actually both investigated the people who were in the trap in the previous movie, so that's where the connection comes in. It's also pretty clear that Perez is not entirely convinced that Strom is the accomplice, and she thinks that something's up, something's sketchy. I've gotten through five movies, and I am just now realizing that I don't think I mentioned that in every Jigsaw victim, a Jigsaw puzzle piece is cut out of their skin. This is what led the newspapers and the tabloids to coin the name Jigsaw Killer. John didn't give that to himself, but he basically says that that being cut out of them represents a piece of themselves that's missing. So again, that pound of flesh trap, a woman survived, but there was another guy who died. So they're doing an autopsy on him and they discovered that the puzzle piece that was cut out of him was done with a serrated blade, which is usually not how it's done. So on every other jigsaw victim, the puzzle piece was cut out with a surgical blade, but the victim of this pound of flesh trap, the piece was cut out with a serrated blade. And the only other jigsaw victim that a piece was cut out with a serrated blade was Seth Baxter, the guy from the pendulum trap and the guy that we now know that Hoffman put in a trap to frame as a jigsaw killing. So this is obviously a massive red flag and Perez is now even more skeptical of Hoffman. So this now leads Perez and Erickson to reopen the Seth Baxter case and they pull the videotape that was found at the scene and they start to analyze the audio. Meanwhile, remember the box that John left Jill in the previous movie? So in that box, there were six envelopes. So Hoffman ends up going to see Jill at the clinic that she runs and demands the envelopes, but Jill only gives him five. And these envelopes contain the images of people who are to be put in the next trap that is going to take place during this movie. One of these photos is a woman named Pamela Jenkins, who is a reporter who we very briefly met in the previous movie at a press conference. But we see her in this movie also trying to get a statement from Hoffman. She's basically all over the Jigsaw murders. Earlier in the movie, we also met a man named William Easton, who we learn is the CEO of a company called Umbrella Health. And basically his company either approves or denies medical coverage, but there is this group called the Dog Pit that is used to find any discrepancies on applications and they basically deny a whole bunch of applications for dumb ass discrepancies. So yeah, that leads them all to be the next subjects in this Jigsaw game. So just like previous movies, we get flashbacks throughout. So one flashback shows this video of John and Jill that they made for their son, Gideon, who obviously Jill had a miscarriage. It's this very sad scene. There's another scene where John brings Amanda to Jill to basically show her like, see, my games are working, like people can be rehabilitated. Anyway, back in Easton's office, he is watching news coverage saying that the Jigsaw killer, John Kramer is dead, but it seems like the murders are still continuing. And as he's watching this, he hears a noise and he takes out a gun and he ends up shooting a security guard by accident. But as he goes to help him, he is then abducted by somebody in a pig mask. Saw 6 is the movie that questions the morality a lot because it's like, this is the one where some people might deserve it, but others really don't. So the first trap that Easton wakes up in is him and his janitor, Hank, and they're both attached to these like oxygen tanks. And basically anytime they breathe in, it's going to cause these like vise grips to crush their torsos. So the jigsaw tape goes on to explain that Hank is a smoker. So he basically takes his life for granted, which like just because he smokes means he has to die. So this is again where the morality comes into question. Regardless, Easton is able to hold his breath for longer than Hank does. So Hank ultimately dies, but Easton is released where he then proceeds. So while Easton is now going through, we see that also locked up is Pamela Jenkins in one cage, and then in another cage, there is a woman and her son. They're confused as to why she's there, but then the woman makes a comment like, we're here because of your father. So at this point, most everybody assumes that this is Easton's wife and son. So anyway, Easton's going through, and the second trap brings him to his secretary, Addie as well as another one of his associates. This associate is a file clerk that basically has no living relatives and no family. Meanwhile, Addie is like an older middle-aged woman, so has but has a lot more family. But according to Easton's policy, the young kid is the one that is more worthy of surviving. So now Easton has to pick which one to kill. And he decides that he's going to let Addie live because there's a bunch of pictures with her and her family showing, and he kills the file clerk whose only crime really was being a loner and having no family, so... The next trap that Easton gets to is a boiler room where his lawyer is being held, and basically he has to take on a bunch of steam and burn his skin off to allow her to get through the trap, which he does, and she makes it through. But then she watches a videotape that tells her that the key to her survival, because she still has a contraption around her, is hidden inside William, so she goes to attack him with a saw to get the key. He fights her off, and time runs out, and she is attached to this spear gun, which goes off and kills her. So he moves on to his next trap, which I personally really enjoy. And this one is the carousel trap. And attached to the carousel is six of his associates, otherwise known as the dog pit. So these are the people that find all the discrepancies to deny people coverage. So there's six on the carousel and only two can survive. So he basically has to decide who lives and dies. So he picks two of the women as the other four are left to be shot and die. So obviously we're watching this game play out, but we also see that Pam Jenkins and the mother and son are watching this game play out. So just like all the other movies, we continue to see flashbacks. So probably the most important flashback in this movie is a flashback of John Kramer meeting William Easton. So they're discussing coverage and how basically Easton's policy goes by the probability of life. And then John tells him, okay, so you basically decide who live or dies, but you're not taking into account the will to live. We see another flashback later on of John going to Easton to talk about an experimental treatment that is being done by a doctor in Norway. This is going to be very important later on. John says I'm looking for coverage. It's a new experimental trial. They think that I'm the perfect candidate and Easton makes a comment saying well if your primary Dr. Gordon thought that it was a good idea he would have recommended it which he did. So now we know why John is after Easton because he denied him coverage. We also see another flashback from Saw 3 of Hoffman setting up Timothy in the rack and then Amanda and John come in and you can definitely tell that there's a lot of tension going on between Amanda and Hoffman. So back in present times, Hoffman gets a call from Erickson who's like, we found something in the Seth Baxter tape. We need you to come here immediately. It's time sensitive. So Hoffman shows up and Perez is basically telling him how they found an abnormality in the fingerprint that was left by Peter Strom. And essentially this abnormality is some sort of chemical that shows that the fingerprints were left postmortem. So now they know that somebody took the prints off of Strom's dead body and planted them at the scene. As this is happening, the Seth Baxter tape is also being deciphered and all of a sudden you start to hear Hoffman's voice coming from it. So Hoffman knows that he's caught, so he does what any logical person would do and just immediately starts murdering everybody in the precinct. As he's killing Perez by stabbing her in the stomach, he says, who else knows about me? And she looks at him and says, everyone and dies. So now he's fucked. Okay, so now we're going back a little bit. Remember the envelope that was left for Amanda in Saw 3 that we keep seeing and we find out that Hoffman was the one that left it? Well, it's finally time to reveal what was in it. So now we get a flashback of Cecil on the night that he broke into the clinic and forced Jill to miscarry essentially. And we actually discover through a flashback that Amanda Young was with Cecil that night and is the one who convinced him to break into the clinic to steal drugs. So she inadvertently also has played a hand in the death of John and Jill's baby. And what was in the envelope was a letter from Hoffman telling Amanda that he knew about this and he knew that John didn't know about it and he was going to tell John if Amanda did not kill Lynn. So that's why in Saw 3, Amanda completely ignores John's orders and kills Lynn because she was so scared to have John know that she played a part in the death of his son. So then we cut to Jill and we also find out what was in that six envelope that she's been hiding. And what's in there is a picture of Hoffman and the reverse bear trap was also left for her in the box by John. And it is John's will that Hoffman needs to be tested. But before that happens we see the final trap play out so William gets to the point where he finds Pamela and he also finds that woman and her son and we discover that Pam is actually William's sister. And the wife and son are not the wife and son of Easton. They are actually the wife and son of a man who Easton denied coverage, which ultimately led to his death. So the two of them are looking at him with pure rage and are just like, you're responsible for the death of my husband slash father. And the final videotape leaves it up to her and her son to decide the fate of William. And ultimately, the son presses the button that then causes a bunch of hydrofluoric acid to be released into William's bloodstream. So he is injected with acid and burns from the inside out as they all watch. So we see Hoffman get ambushed, and when he wakes up, he is tied to a chair and has the reverse bear trap on. And Jill is standing there and tells him, John left six envelopes. He left you five, but the sixth one was for me. This is your test. Jill says game over and exits the room as she leaves the timer to the bear trap on, but unfortunately for her, Hoffman is way too smart for that. Hoffman uses the mask to break his wrists to get out of the restraints and then manages to lodge the mask into a window, which prevents it from fully opening and he survives. He rips the mask off, which leaves part of his cheek disfigured, but the movie ends with him screaming in a fit of rage. So now nobody's fucking safe, so let's move on to Saw 3D or Saw the final chapter. This is the one I like to call the one where everything finally comes together. So this movie opens up with Lawrence Gordon crawling out of the bathroom with his amputated foot and ultimately cauterizing it on a hot pipe. And reminder, we haven't seen anything about Gordon since Saw 1, and we are now on Saw 7. So then we see the opening trap of this movie, which is the first trap to take place in public. It's basically happening in this town square, and it's these two guys with a power saw in the middle of them. And hanging from the ceiling is a woman that they learn has been playing both of them, basically. So the goal is either one of them needs to kill each other or they need to let her die. And again, they find out that she has been cheating on both of them. So they let her die. And then we jump back right into the regular timeline. So we see Hoffman survive, and we see that Jill actually watches Hoffman survive, and she's like, okay, well, I'm fucked. So Jill decides to go to internal affairs where she meets this man named Detective Gibson, and she basically offers to give him any information that he needs to incriminate Hoffman in exchange for her full immunity. So Jill's obviously freaking out. She has this dream sequence of Hoffman killing her. Meanwhile, we see Hoffman sewing up his own face that was fucked up from the bear trap. And now we meet a man named Bobby Dagan. So we meet Bobby as he's being interviewed for his book that he wrote on how he survived a jigsaw trap. Bobby later holds a jigsaw support group which has some cool easter eggs because we see some survivors from previous traps so we see like Malik and Britt we see the girl from the previous pound of flesh trap who cut off her own arm and Bobby's giving a speech and then all of a sudden we start to hear clapping and the camera pans and who is it clapping? Dr. Lawrence motherfucking Gordon. Again, this is the first time we're seeing Gordon since Saw 1, so this was an absolutely, like, life-altering moment. So as Bobby's walking to his car that night, he is subdued by somebody in a pig mask. And when he wakes up, he has played a video of his wife in a trap and is told, basically, if you don't get through this and save your wife, she's gonna die, and you've deceived her this whole time, and you now need to tell her that. Because it turns out Bobby Dagan was never in a trap. Oh, no. No. He basically made the whole thing up and milked it to get fame and notoriety. So Bobby starts to navigate through this game and basically he finds people who all helped him like create this lie. So he finds his publicist in this trap where he has to pull this fish hook out of her throat to get the key which he fails and she dies. He finds his lawyer which requires him to impale his shoulders on this contraption so that she doesn't die but she ultimately does because he fails. He also finds his best friend Kale in a trap, and he needs to get a key to him in a certain amount of time, which he fails to do, and Kale is hanged and dies. So he gets through all this, and again, they're all being tested because they helped Bobby fabricate this whole jigsaw bullshit story, and he finally gets to his wife, and we discover that Joyce is the only one, Joyce is his wife, Joyce is the only one that does not know that Bobby's been lying this whole time, so he's also lied to her about it justice for joyce honestly she did not deserve to be in a trap her only crime was being a loving supportive wife okay while this game is unfolding we actually have a flashback to a book signing that bobby is doing and john kramer approaches his desk to have him sign a book at this point nobody had known that john kramer was jigsaw and bobby dagan's a fucking idiot so he never put it together together either so now we start to get more information about detective gibson who was the one that jill went to for protection And we find out that prior, he had actually worked with Hoffman and witnessed Hoffman shoot an unarmed suspect. And he reported Hoffman for it, but Hoffman actually got promoted because nobody fucking cared. But now we can put together that Hoffman probably has some sort of vendetta towards Gibson. So earlier in the movie, Hoffman had set up this trap where there were four white supremacists in it. This is the trap that Chester Bennington is in, RIP. This is a really cool one though. So basically he is glued to the seat of a car and he needs to rip all of the skin off his back to pull the brake before the car crashes and kills everybody in the trap. Which he does not manage to do when everybody dies. So when the police got to the scene of the crime, they put the bodies in body bags and went to go bring them to the morgue, which is in the same building that Jill is currently being held in and protected. But Hoffman being incredibly fucking smart and always being way ahead of the game actually swapped out one of those bodies for his own. So he was quite literally carried into the place where Jill is. So Gibson's not in the building because he's investigating a place where Hoffman created a videotape that he sent to him. And he realizes too late that Hoffman has infiltrated the police station and while he does that an automatic gun comes up and just shoots him and everybody in the room and kills them all so hoffman wakes up he kills the autopsy tech and then he absolutely fucking murks everybody in his way to go and find jill while this is all happening we see the rest of bobby diggin's trap unfold so basically what he has to do is put himself in the trap that he made up in his book that he told everybody he survived this trap requires him to put two hooks through his pectoral muscles and hoist himself up to get a key so he now has to do that to get the key to save his wife joyce But he fails. He damn near makes it to the top before the hooks rip directly through his pectoral muscles and time runs out and Joyce is burned to death. She's not even killed in like an easy way. She is just fucking incinerated. Again, justice for Joyce. And that's the last we see of Bobby Dagan. He's alive, but obviously now his whole life is destroyed, which fuck him. Anyway, Hoffman back at the police station ultimately makes it to Jill where he takes her and puts her in the reverse bear trap. And Jill Tuck is unfortunately the first person that this trap kills. As he's going to leave and he starts to leave town to destroy everything, he is overtaken by three people in pig masks, which is confusing considering he is the last of the Jigsaw accomplices, or so we thought. So Hoffman wakes up locked in a very familiar bathroom and in front of him is standing Dr. Lawrence Gordon. Flashbacks show that after he cut his foot off, Jigsaw actually took him and created a prosthetic leg for him. And Dr. Gordon has been an accomplice this whole time, but has been working behind the scenes. So that's how so many of these traps that required medical knowledge were able to be done. So remember in Saw 2, we see that man who's sewing the guy's eyes closed have a limp. That's Dr. Gordon because he doesn't have a foot. We see him sewing the guy's eyes shut from the mausoleum trap. We see him giving John the information of Dr. Lynn Denlin because they worked at the same hospital together. He's the one who wrote the note to Hoffman saying, I know who you are because he knew about him and Amanda the whole time. Remember the trap from Saw 4 that was going through all that guy's vital organs and I was like, how is this supposed to be done without somebody with medical knowledge? It was fucking Gordon. And before he died, John left Gordon instructions saying, should anything happen to Jill, I'm going to need you to act immediately, which is exactly what Gordon does. So Hoffman, now chained to a pipe, realizes that Gordon's been an accomplice the whole time and he tries to reach for the hacksaw. But Gordon's like, absolutely fucking not, brother. And he grabs his hacksaw and throws it out of the room. And in this incredibly beautiful and poetic scene as the iconic saw music is playing, Gordon walks out, takes a look at his severed foot, says game over, and shuts the fucking door on Hoffman forever. And that's it. We never see more. We never know what happens to Gordon. We never know what happens to Hoffman because all of the movies after this are either prequels or they just don't bring it up. So personally, I've been waiting for another movie with the two of them to show the showdown between the two of them because I believe that Mark Hoffman is way too smart to have died in that trap. Like his odds show that he definitely found a way out. So there you guys have it. There's a breakdown of Saw's one through seven, all the connections, how the whole thing unfolds, and I really hope that this made you appreciate Saw as much as I do because again, it is not just gore. It is not just torture porn. It is very intricate, very well thought out. The character development is on point, and I just fucking love it so much. I will do another episode where I break down Jigsaw, Spiral, and Saw X, which is a personal favorite, but in between Saw 3D and Jigsaw, there was seven years, so we waited seven years for that. I'm sure you guys could wait another seven days for this. In the meantime, make sure you guys follow me on TikTok and on Instagram. I post on TikTok basically every day. It's horror underscore chronicles. And until next time, watch more horror movies and stay spooky, my friends.